Before we get started today, I really want to tell you about a course that we've been working on called the Influencer Flywheel Challenge. We've surveyed our 10,000 subscribers. We found their number one pain point was building effective influencer content marketing systems. So we've gathered the world's best influencer marketers into a four-day seminar, November 10th to 13th. Make sure that you can make it. If you can't make it live, the replays will be available. But if you go to d2cnews.link slash flywheel right now, that's d2cnews.link slash flywheel. Uh, you can get on the waiting list for the course. It's going to be fantastic. On with the show. There's never been a better time to be a direct-to-consumer business. Join us as we uncover the strategies and scaling secrets of the world's most disruptive brands and agencies. This is DTC by Pilot House. And welcome to D2C Podcast. Uh, today, we are super lucky to have Roger Figueredo, who is the VP of Marketing and Sales Development at Hashtag Paid. Uh, Hashtag Paid is one of the top platforms out there for sort of arranging your entire influencer marketing uh, campaigns, you know, meeting influencers, leveraging them against uh, high value dark post campaigns. Um, it's, it's really exciting to have you on here. I know that you have been, um, uh, you know, in the trenches of influencer marketing kind of since its inception. So I'm really interested to kind of learn from you, learn from, uh, you about the way things have evolved and the way things are going, uh, with influencer marketing, creator marketing, as you guys like to call it. Uh, so welcome to the DTC podcast. How are you doing, Roger? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Excited to, to chat marketing, influencer marketing. Um, Nice. Uh, and KG, of course, Kyle Guilfoyle is on the podcast as well. Um, uh, always good to have you back on the province. He was in uh, Ontario for a little bit, so our time zones were, were messed up. So it's good to have you back on the West Coast. It's good to be back. Nice. Okay, cool. Well, Roger, what is one thing right now that you think people are uh, misthinking when it comes to influencer marketing? What are they doing wrong with influencer marketing right now? With influencer marketing? Um yeah, I think one of the one of the having talked to a lot of marketers over the last couple of years, one of the things that that people are still hesitant with is giving con creative control over to the creator. Um, they still they're still used to this. Um, they treat the influencer as if they were an advertisement or as if they were a billboard, and they try to and they try to bring that over the approach over to working with creators, and and they really. Um, you're taking away a lot of, of the juice of influencer marketing when you do that. Um, essentially, you're taking all of this creativity and all of this potential that they have to engage their audience. And you're saying, well, actually, you know, we know that you've been engaging your audience and you do it that way. But talk to them, say this to them specifically and do this and use this. And um, you're stripping them of their power. You're stripping them of, of their potential. So. That's something that I find um, that some people are actually cognizant of. They're, they they realize that that is an issue, but they just they have a hard time handing that over. It's not easy, um, and I get it. I understand, but it's an issue. It, it makes influencer marketing less powerful because it's so, all about authenticity, so, right? Like just lose that authenticity. Like you, you really have to speak, let those influencers speak their language because that's how they built those audiences, right? Obviously. And, and, and so, so Roger, are, are there some, some best practices when it comes to communicating with influencers to, you know, to ensure that, uh, you know, you're getting what, you know, what you want from them uh, as your brand and, you know, they're also free to express themselves. 
I love that question. And yes, the answer is yes. Uh, in fact, I think there were uh, a couple thousand creators that were pulled. Um, and the right answer to working with a creator is not total total freedom in the sense that, um, you know, hey, we want to sell this shirt, so go and create content. It's more here. Are, here are, are some boundaries, and within these boundaries, you can do whatever you want. And I think that's how creators prefer to work. Um, so again, this was a, a poll that came out. I think it was by Joel Backler. If you guys want to look him up, Joel Backler, and he talks about these creators actually want boundaries, but they want freedom within those boundaries. They don't want to be dictated to, um, but they do. Again, I, and I've said it like two or three times, but they do like they do like boundaries. They do like getting direction and being pointed in a certain way, but then from there, like back up and let, let them do their thing. And uh, to your point, uh, Eric, I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, it, it strips, when you don't do that, um, when you kind of dictate, it ruins the authenticity because all of a sudden you're used to a pattern of content. You made your content, your, your handle, your brand as a creator is essentially a brand is a promise and the creator's promising that they will deliver on their feed this type of content consistently. A brand is as good as your ability to consistently um, fulfill that promise. I will consistently provide you with comedic content or humorous content or DIY content. And if at any point I fail to live up to that promise, my brand takes a hit. And so anytime you dictate to a creator, their brand takes a hit. And that's why we don't recommend it um, at all, at all. Let's, let's back up a little bit here, because I think everyone in the audience knows what influencer marketing is, but I think we're still in the period, I think, where people might have misconceptions about, you know, how influencer marketing has evolved, what it was and what it is. Can you walk us through that a little bit? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so influencer marketing isn't new, right? It's been, it's been around for ages, thousands of years. And it, 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 you know, the first time somebody recommended something, there's influencer marketing. I, I believe you. You have influence into my life, and I will um, I will take your recommendation and do this or that. And so, um, I think what we normally have, what we when we say traditional, what we think of as celebrity marketing, um, you know, we go back to Michael Jordan and Haynes, or Michael Jordan and Nike, um, or the DeLorean and Back to the Future, or something like that. Um, and in that era, in that in that time, um, there were gatekeepers, and in order for you to have access to an audience. You know, there were certain people who said yes or no. Yes, I will give you access or no, I will not give you access. And that's probably the fundamental shift in influencer marketing is that there's no more gatekeepers. There's no one saying now you uh, you uh, have access. Yes, we, we grant you access to this large audience. It's not like that anymore. Pretty much it, it's it's um, anyone who is good content can build an audience. That's the fundamental difference. It's that it's sort of, um, up for grabs to anybody who can produce good content. And that's the fundamental shift. No more gatekeepers. There's no more TV producers. There's no more editors saying, yes, you know, you'll be allowed on our show or no, you won't. It's you pick up, you create a handle, um, you make an account and you start shooting with your iPhone. And if you do it well enough, you'll build an audience and you'll become an influencer. Now let's talk about the advertiser side. So this is for people that want to get into that influencer marketing space. But I feel like even from the marketing and advertising side, I think some people are still operating from, I don't know, like a Kim Kardashian mindset or a Paris Hilton mindset that you were really focused on finding the influencers who are going to have the actual most influence over your brand. Uh, and, and then we're also relying on them to make a post and to make sure that your marketing is coordinated for that post. Just let's, let's talk about like, let's get into whitelisting and, and how that's really changed the game specifically for you guys at hashtag. Yeah. 
Um, so I, I think there are, there, are, there are the couple things you mentioned that are really interesting. The first is you mentioned Kim Kardashian, how people, when they think of influencer marketing, um, they think of Kim Kardashian or sort of that broad appeal. And, and I'm not sure if this is the direction you're taking the question, but, but I'll take the opportunity maybe to chat a little bit about sort of these large celebrity influencers that are also digital now. They've moved their influence maybe offline from traditional channels like TV, and they moved it online. So think of people like LeBron James or Kim Kardashian, you musicians, your actors. Um, they've moved it online. And then you have these, you know, you have some other folks maybe that have less followers who sort of they're digital first celebrities and and or digital first creators, meaning they sort of create a handle and they built their audience from scratch and they became celebrities that way versus sort of um, through traditional channels. And um, they're both good. When people think of influencer marketing, they they sometimes think you have two camps. You either have sort of some old school folks who are like, nah, 50,000, nah, that's, that's not for us. That's not gonna do anything for us. Then you have you know the other camp who says, no, like celebrities are stupid, it doesn't work. Um, and the reality is they're both very good. They both work. I think you do have to do a lot of vetting to get the right people. But the reality is they both work and they both have different purposes. And normally when I'm talking to marketers, my recommendation is if your message is broad, meaning it is not very specific, it is not very targeted or segmented, then you know a, a large digital first or traditional celebrity will do the job. They'll get the job done. Like if you're wearing, if you're wearing a Hanes t-shirt, um, Man, anyone can wear a Hanes t-shirt. So yeah, yeah. go ahead. With snow, Probably everyone has teeth. Everyone has teeth for snow, right? So that's going to work. You got it. You got it. But if you have a more targeted message, um, then you, you know, your, 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 your micro, your sort of your nano influencers, people with smaller influencer or follower counts, they have a more niche audience. And so find creators with that niche audience and you're going to get more bang for your buck. Because if you have a, a, a very specific message and there's someone with a million followers, and of those million, only like 50,000 resonate with your message. You are paying the rates of a million follower count creator, but you're only benefiting from 50,000 of those followers. Um, but if you find someone who has 50,000 followers and is in your niche, then you're getting, you're paying a lower rate and you're still getting access to 50,000 people. And so, of course, like algorithms aside, Instagram algorithms aside, it's just very, I'm reducing it here for the sake of the conversation, but um, in a sense, if you have a specific message, use smaller, use creators with smaller follower counts. Um, it, it's, you can be more hyper, you can be hyper personalized, um, way more targeted. So, um, but then again, broad messages, great for those, those bigger folks. Nice. And then I guess the other just part of that question would be to lead into uh, the, the art of whitelisting essentially, and, yeah. and how whitelisting has like really changed the influencer marketing game. Yeah, what 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 listening is really exciting, and um, we, we use that in B two B too. We're trying it out, and if if anyone's listening to this or watching this, and, and you don't know what it is, I'll quickly explain it if you guys don't mind. Please. It's normally with paid social, you're running an ad through your brand handle. So for us, let's say it's hashtag paid. Um, instead, whitelisting says I'm gonna I'm gonna partner with this creator. There's some affinity here. We're partnering. I'm actually gonna run my ads through their handle. And so that's what's called whitelisting. They're, they're letting my message pass through their handle. And so um, when we build something like that, we build it as a brand new ad. And so all of a sudden now you're doing influencer marketing, but it's like you have all of the optimization and all of the um, specifics that you can get with paid social in your Facebook ads manager. You can use all of that targeting um, with influencer marketing now. So it's kind of like a mission. It's like influencer marketing and paid social had a baby. 
amazing. And it's and it and like it's something on the pilot house side that we just see just is absolute rocket fuel. This is one of the reasons we're we're building a course around this. Uh, it, you know, this, this event we're doing in November, it's really just because we realize that this kind of content is the stuff that gives your brand the biggest momentum. And I think the thing that I'm most interested in is how it also builds your brand as you're doing it. It, it more so than any other, more so than any other, uh, you know, kind of advertising. I feel like when you create marketing funnels with these whitelisted influencer campaigns, you just have that real opportunity to build up brand affinity, like in a really accelerated fashion. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and part of the excitement there when you use it for when, when you're using it sort of to advance your brand um, is that you can use it with uh, in a variety of different ways. You don't have to use it for an acquisition campaign or for a conversion campaign. And you don't have to use it at the top of the funnel exclusively either, which is normally what influencer marketing gets associated with, right? Like top of the funnel impressions and reach. Um, the reality is you can kind of spread it out throughout the funnel. We've done, you know, before Black Friday, um, we started working with customers to start building their email lists, right? So they were using influencer marketing, they would whitelist creators, and they would build their email lists using whitelisting. So that was the conversion point, you know, get the email, do a giveaway or something or a contest or something like that, build your email list. So then you have, you don't have to rely just on paid social come November 1st with the elections and with sort of everybody competing for, for, for inventory. Um, you can you can use your email lists. So um, so yeah, you can use it up and down. You can use it for impressions or reach. Um, and, and the great thing there is you're reaching new audiences with whitelisting, which is why at the top of the funnel it gets pretty exciting too. With influencer marketing, the organic stuff, you're only targeting the creator's existing audience. That's it. So yep. if you got fifty thousand followers, I can target those fifty thousand and no one else. But once I whitelist with you, and I'm I'm I'm, I'm running that ad. Now I, I go to new audiences, right? Um, and so it expands the, the amount of people and the type of people that I can reach. And then finally, I would say people like hearing from people. You know, there are a couple brand handles that I follow on Twitter that I love, that I advocate for, but they're very few in comparison. You know, if I have 400, you know, if I follow a couple hundred people on Twitter, like, a handful of those are brands. So people, I like hearing from people. And I would say that's true about in, in general, I might, you know, venture out to say that. And so when you're advertising, when you're doing whitelisting and you're advertising through the creator's handle, um, the message is coming from a person, even if they don't know that person, it's still coming from a person, which causes you to stop a little bit. Totally. totally. Um, we were we were re recently speaking with, uh, with with John Hagen, who has um, done phenomenally well with uh, with influencer marketing, and 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 one of the things that he said that we really liked was, um, you know, if 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 your brand isn't using influencer marketing, you're you're still playing t-ball, and I'm <laughs> I'm I'm wondering what like what you hear from brands, like what are the objections, what what are the complaints, why why aren't those why aren't those brands using influencer marketing? Why are brands using influencer marketing? What are the big complaints? Um, from <clears throat> so from from some of the legacy brands, one of the issues is that the the um, trying to think of a word that doesn't disrespect them, but some of the folks in leadership who maybe come from the more traditional um, marketing um, side, they don't really understand the the new metrics, and so. If they use something called a mixed model and 
if influencer marketing is not in that model already, um, it kind of gets, it's, it gets lumped in with paid social. And so there's not a lot of visibility into how it performs. And so they're not as willing to take the risk. And then as a result, their team is because their leader doesn't understand those metrics and they're not going to get recognized for that work or for that program or for that campaign. They're like, wow, my boss doesn't really understand this. And so like, I don't even know how to pitch it to them. And so the challenge there is just on educating them on, well, this is measurable. And so, um, so that's on, on the, on the, I would say on the bigger brand side and the enterprise side, that's one of the, the things that we get. Um, and then from, I would say from e-commerce brands, you know, they're more driven towards, you know, they're fighting for survival every day for the most part. And so for them, it's every dollar has to have some sort of monetary value attached to it uh, in terms of in terms of a return. And so for them, it's like, can I measure acquisition from this? Can I measure conversion from this? And historically, influencer marketing has been sort of a black box. Uh, and and so for them, it's like, no, I'm not doing influencer marketing because I can't track dollars back to it. I'm going to get fired eventually. So no. Well, well, I mean, that's that's an awesome segue because. Um... You know, uh, in this in this landscape, like attribution measurements is already a pretty unwieldy beast. And um, you know, I uh, I can imagine many uh, brands price see throwing influencers into the mix as like you know making it an even bigger task. Um, how how do you uh, approach measurement? And you know, what steps do you suggest brands take to uh, to to measure their influencer partnerships effectively? Yeah, and there's a lot of great tools out there. I work for hashtag paid, so we, we sort of got this covered. But if you're not, you know, if you're not using hashtag paid, there's, there's a couple of good tools you can string together to make this work. So some of the depending on whether you're enterprise or whether you're an e-commerce, sort of some of the methods are going to change. Um, on the enterprise side, um, you know, we run a study to see whether influencer marketing. So we run lift studies, um, and so we we see whether. Influencer marketing is actually, for example, increasing foot traffic. So there's some, um, they check whether, you know, the person's phone, if they're watching on their phone, if they've entered the store, we did this with Ikea. And so whether they've come to the store within a certain period of time, uh, we're looking at sales lift, brand lift, perception, et cetera. So that's on the enterprise side. So we do measure all of that on all our campaigns. Some customers are, or some of the more educated customers are like, we're not even buying if this is not available. Um, and so, so that's what we're doing there. And then on the e-commerce side, Sorry, so that's interesting. I always like yeah. hearing about legacy. I worked, I worked with some some big agencies in the past, and the whole foot lift and the the brand lift, all the things that aren't the things that the things that I'm used to, like conversions and clicks and you know performance based things. It's always interesting to hear the language of legacy performance. Totally, yeah, and and I, I know this is a the, a DTC focused show, so I'll, oh, I'll hop over there now. But but it is possible in the enterprise stuff. Um, it is it is possible in the enterprise world in the e-commerce world. Um, they're using affiliate codes. There's, there's, you know, there's UTM codes that people will use. Um, with whitelisting, it becomes very, very easy. It becomes essentially the same as your paid social. There's no difference. So you can choose your attribution window. Uh, you can choose. You can optimize towards the conversion, towards the sale, towards the click, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, with whitelisting, it becomes even easier. And then on the organic stuff, it's it's your your affiliate codes, it's your links, it's dedicated landing pages, et cetera. Nice. I wanted you to just, I, I, I don't know if you can talk about, uh, you know, specific clients or anything like that. I know you guys work with a lot of different kind of advertisers. Can you give us an example of someone who's just like, uh, you know, give us the outline of a campaign that has just worked really well. And like what, essentially what I'm trying to get at is like, what are people doing with hashtag paid even specifically right now? How are they orchestrating these campaigns for maximum impact? 
Yeah. Oh gosh. Okay. The first one that comes to mind is a really funny one. It's actually a laxative. So people always say, oh, this, you know, my brand is not going to work with influencer marketing. And so I'll give you an example of a laxative. If the laxative brand can do it, you can probably do it. They, honestly, we went to our creator network. We believe that you have to sort of tap into natural fandom in order for influencer marketing to work. So you got to go get real fans, people who raise up their hand and say, yeah, I want to work with you. Here's my pitch. Here's my experience with your product. So that's what makes it most, uh, that's what makes it powerful, right? So, so this laxative brand, we did go out and there were creators, sure enough, who came back, a handful of them who said, man, I use this. And one campaign specifically, there was this one creator and I forget her name now, but she, she, during pregnancy, she, um, she struggled. She, some stuff happened. She struggled to go to the bathroom and this laxative actually helped her. So she did a video. She did a, a, a story, a couple stories from the toilet talking about this laxative and how it oh actually God. helped her during her pregnancy. And she told the whole story. Like it was a narrative and it was, it was really well done. It was a story and it was engaging and it was a laxative brand. So man, it was just shocking for us to get it back. Like, wow, this worked, you know? Um, so even we continually, you know, even we keep getting surprised. That And that was like, like, I think that's one of the things people have hesitancies have out there is like, you know, if you have a luxury brand, if you have a makeup brand, if you have one of these, these high, uh, you know, sheen kind of products, the, the, the affinity for influencer marketing is clear. So that is a really interesting example of something, uh, you know, how many people are going to talk about tushy or, or laxatives. There are, everyone goes through these things. So like the more you're just going to get those, especially authentic relationships when people are willing to talk about these things. Right. Got it. Absolutely. Um, that's, that's the power of influencer marketing. Like it, word of mouth is so powerful because you use that vacuum, right? Like you use that blender, you use that vacuum and you make it every morning. So when you say, man, I've been using the Vitamix or the Ninja, whatever it is, I've been using the Dyson and man, it picks up every bit of dirt. It picks up all the Cheerios off the floor. Um, I'll be like, Oh, I'll give it a shot. If you'd never used it, it's much less powerful. And so it's, it's no different than influencer marketing. You want to tap into real fans, real people who've used and had experience with your, your product and have a natural fit and blend with your product. So yeah, I agree. Sorry. I went on a rant there. No, that's great. One of the other things I was just wondering is like when people engage you guys, are they launching individual ads? Are they launching like, mm. uh, because one of the things that comes up again and again, when we, with, with pilot house, with our clients, we, we use this term and I don't know if it's the best term is called hall of mirrors. It's sort of this idea that as people are going down the conversion funnel, they get more and more of these faces, whether or not they have influence over them or whether or not they're just good looking people that, you know, are, you know, akin to the customer avatar that, that they're trying to, to reach. But essentially this idea of a hall of mirrors where as they're in the conversion funnel, they're going to see more and more people saying how much they love this product. And that's going to lead to the ultimate conversion. So my answer, my question is sort of like, what do you see working best for people? Just like individual engagements where they just test one ads or where they get multiple versions of these going so they can create this effect. Yeah. It, that's, that's a great question. And it, it's a, it's a, you know, you asked at the beginning of our conversation, what's the biggest thing that wrong people that people are doing wrong with influencer marketing. And I, and I gave you an answer and this is probably runner up to that. And that's people come and they use influencer marketing as sort of like this, this, this kind of point solution. I don't know if point solution is the right word, but they use it for this. Like I have this issue that I want to solve and I'm only going to use it for this campaign because I want to do acquisition for this product for the month of May. And Sometimes it works. Most of the times though, um, most often influencer marketing is most powerful when you're using it across your funnel and you're using it over a period of time. 
And the reason is because you spoke about the Dyson once, cool, but I'm not in the market for a Dyson right now. But if my if you speak about it a couple of times and that brand name becomes familiar to me, all of a sudden now there's a psychological principle where familiarity breeds trust. And so because I'm hearing about that a couple of times now, not only do I trust you because I've chosen to follow you, right? I hit the button. This is not interruptive marketing. I subscribe to your content because you're familiar already. And now the brand you're working with is also familiar to me. All of a sudden now, for some reason in my brain, um, I trust both of you. And so when it's time to purchase, there's a trust built between the creator, the product and me. And, and so that takes time to develop. It's not sort of done in, you know, in two weeks. Um, so there's this, there's this element of length of partnership, but there's also this element of sort of, um, I don't know if scope is the right, but scope of funnel, like where in the funnel you're using influencers or creators and um, really good brands are using them at the top, in the middle and at the bottom. They're using them to, some people don't know how to use a product properly, right? And so, um, or they, 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 they want to see it used before they buy it, right? Because you see a picture of it, you know, behind a ba black background or white background, um, and it's there. Cool. But, but when I see it in use, it does something in me that says, oh, that's how you use it. Or it's that easy or whatever. And really smart brands are tapping into creators to do that. Um, you know, here's watch me put this cream, apply this cream on my face. Uh, watch me. Uh, um, I don't know. Use this mascara or something. I don't know. Um, this laxative. But when it's this, this <laughs> laxative, watch me use it. Um, I don't know about the laxative, <laughs> but watch me use it. and. And, um, and it does something at the top of the funnel. And then, you know, in the middle of the funnel, you can, you know, you can, you can sort of get people to watch a video to educate them. You can start building testimonials and reviews. Um, and then at the bottom of the funnel, you're converting those people. And so really good marketers are sort of, they're using influencer marketing across that spectrum, of course, in addition to other marketing channels, but they're, they're using their, that across the, uh, across the funnel. Yeah. And and let, let's say let's say that you're working with a, a brand new creator. Um, your brand has never worked with them before. Would you recommend that when you're starting off with a creator, they you they start at the top of the funnel, and then as your relationship with them develops, you kind of bring them down, or or is it not quite that linear? It, it's not. I, I, I if you ask me theoretically how it should work, I'd say yes. But the reality is that some customers come to us and they say, "I only want to do bottom funnel." In fact, they only want to do whitelisting, um, and 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 some brands are successful. We have one we have one brand with us who's running organic and whitelisting, but they're doing twenty x uh, ROAS. And the product, the value of the product is, I think, in the sixty dollar range, sixty seventy dollar range. They're doing about twenty twenty x, um, which is which is really good. And they're doing bottom funnel right away. So as much as I want to say yes. The, the truth is we have some brands who are super successful using influencer marketing just at the bottom of the funnel. Um, but it's not, but it's not true for everybody. And so generally speaking, if it's the first time you're doing influencer marketing, think about using it across the funnel. Totally. Um, and that, that reminds me of another uh, sort of black box area when it comes to influencers, which is uh, compensation. Uh, and so, so how, yeah, how, how do you approach that one? Um, I'm especially curious for that, that, uh, that 20 X um, campaign. Yeah. Um, so compensation with whitelisting or with uh, organic or just in general compensation? Yeah, just just in general. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if, if anyone's listening, I'm, I'll try not to talk too much about hashtag paid so that this is as valuable as possible. But um, <laughs> it's good to sort out those rates in advance. 
the reality is there's no standard in the world right now. There is no standard. So creators can, I had one, um, I had one marketer, the head of marketing for a stretchy pants company, a Lululemon competitor, um, pants are around the 130, $140 range. She said, I'll never use influencers ever. I'll never pay them because they've, they've, um, they've, they've hurt me essentially in the past. Like they, I was paying one influencer five grand. And then all of a sudden she got an extra 20,000 followers in a couple of weeks. And then she was charging me 30 grand or 40 grand. And, and we had a, we had built that relationship, built that partnership. And then it all went, you know, to scrap. And so the reality is influ that exists in influencer marketing. And part of the reason influencer marketing gets a bad rap, um, you asked me this question, why don't people use influencer marketing? This is another one of those reasons. The rates are just, they're, un they're not predictable. There's a lack of predictability. Um, for anybody who's listening, I'll migrate here to hashtag paid and how we're solving that problem. Well, we standardize those rates in advance. So when you see a creator on our platform, there's two things that have already been done for you. Uh, or three things rather, we've made sure that they're fans of your brand Two, we've also locked in their rates. So you're going to see it there. There's no surprises. And three, they've already been approved for whitelisting. And so you don't need to negotiate that. It's all done. You just hit the buttons and launch the campaign. So um, you can do that yourself. It's, it's absolutely possible to do it yourself. It's going to take, you know, maybe a full-time head, or like a full-time body on it. Um, it's totally doable. You can use a bunch of different point solutions to get the job done. Um, but we sort of just automate that. So it's really quick. Um, you know, we know growth marketers, especially in e-commerce are pretty, they got, they got a lot of things to do. They're fighting for survival. So we try to make it as quick as possible. Sorry. I didn't mean to pitch hashtag pay there. No, that's much, seriously like yeah. these tools, these tools, like this, it's a game. Like we're not worried. We're honestly not worried about it because we know that this is a game changing. Just, just this kind of marketing in general is a game changer. And we know the amount of work that goes into doing it organically. So, you know, the platforms in this space are, I, I think are in a, in a good position because it's like once even those bigger legacy brands, and we have a lot of legacy brands that, that listen to us, uh, once they embrace this throughout their organizations more, like they're going to see, you know, exponential results from using this. And if your platform, you know, it, is, it just makes life a lot easier for people uh, who are trying to do this. Uh, yeah, it, it's, it's something that we, we, we think of as, as a real value to the audience. Um, awesome. I wanted to ask you though, about like, this is something we were talking about with, with John Hagen, like, and I know part of the things that you get on hashtag paid is that the contract is taken care of. So that's really understood, like who owns the likeness? Like, I'm just wondering, like, how long do these relationships where you're able to put ad budget into their, um, profiles, like how, how long is the term on those things? Like, are you able to continually run that in a lot of cases? And, and do you extend that over time? Like, how does that actually work in, on that side of things? Yeah. Are you asking specifically about hashtag paid? Yeah. Yeah. So we don't have a term. So you can sort of keep the ads running. We have customers who are going up on a year now working with the same creator and whitelisting. They're just seeing success. They're seeing uh, the row ads that they're targeting and that's good for them and they keep running it. Um, yeah, we, we don't have a term on it. Um, but I, 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 outside of hashtag paid, again, it's you're going to get into the negotiation Um sort of aspect of influencer marketing, which is natural and creators should get paid for their work. We absolutely, that's a fundamental belief at hashtag paid. So we understand why they want to negotiate because some people will try to take advantage of them as much as, you know, there's influence, there's bad influencers out there. There's also creators who are being taken advantage of. So I understand why they would want to negotiate. We try to make that as easy as possible for the brand. So there's no caps, there's no limits on that. They can just keep working with the creator and build that relationship. Nice. Uh, you got a question there, Kyle? 
Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I was, I was creeping you as I, as I do before these podcasts, and uh, and in your your Twitter feed, I, I saw that you uh, you record thirty ideas when you get up, and I'm I'm wondering if you could if you could tell us, uh, you know, what what one or two great ideas you've had lately, and um, I'm also uh, weirdly curious in what note taking tool you use, uh, and then, and then we have something a little bit more topical. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so it's not every day that I do it. Sorry if that wasn't, it wasn't clear in the tweet, but I do anytime I have some deep thinking work to do, um, or when I need to, I need to come up with an idea for something. That's when I sit down and I write 30 ideas. Um, it's most useful for me when I'm writing a big essay. So I've written a couple essays this year and I sit down and I look at, you know, if I'm interpreting a text or if I'm trying to come up with an idea for an influencer marketing article, um, I wrote one, how to think about influencer marketing. I sit down and I write 30 things. That's how I start. And um, that's just my process. I find that the easy stuff is what I come up with first, right? The first five, 10, 15, the depth and, and the, the good stuff, the meat is sort of in the, in the, in the latter half. And um, so that's my process for when I need to, to come up with a creative idea or something. That's, I just, I get a notebook. I don't even do it digitally. I just get a notebook and I, and I write it out. Nice. Yeah. It actually works. I, I I promise you, it actually works. When you push your mind past the obvious, man, it's incredible what you're capable of. Yeah. And really let it run free. That's an exercise I've done before. You, you, I feel like in, in your mind, you're constantly like putting stoppers on things sometimes just to move on to the next thing. But I feel like if you if you go through that exercise where you really just try to let it all flow, uh, it, it's, it's, it's quite quite beneficial. Totally. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. And um, you push yourself out of your you have all this baggage that you've carried from previous employers and from previous experiences. There's there's all this baggage skewing the creative ideas that you come up with. And, and normally it's, it's, um, it's, it's just, that's what comes out. It's the easy stuff for you. Um, but to push yourself further, that's, um, I think that's the really special stuff is I'm being a dead horse now, but you guys get the point. It works for me. I, I advocate for, for it. Yeah. That's great. Um, so, so here's one of the things we love to talk about is the, it's been six months of, of, uh, of COVID life, uh, and it's been maybe 10 years of e-commerce growth in, in this time, based on where we thought we'd be in terms of number of e-commerce purchases, percentage of e-commerce purchases. It's just absolutely, uh, really been a game changing experience for e-commerce. I'm wondering in these past six months, I know you've been writing essays. We've, we've published a few of them, uh, like what's something that's changed in this space in just these six months? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the, the creator economy is picking up more people who are out of work, who've lost their work or, or can't work in their sort of normal um, employee employer relationship job. Um, they're out of work. And so they, they, what they're doing is they're monetizing the, uh, the, the knowledge that they have. They're turning it into content. And they're either sort of, you know, for teachers, for example, some of them already have curriculums that they're just now, you know, selling. And so it's, they're already pre-built. They're not necessarily content creators. Some are brand new creators they are creating original stuff, new stuff, and they're, and they're selling it and they're developing an income. They're making an income using some of the things that they're passionate about, some of the things that they're good at. Um, I think the last six months, you know, that's happened more and more and more. Yeah. Totally. I, Kyle, I, I don't, don't, don't forget to, I want to go back to the note taking app. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I didn't forget. Yeah. But that's, that's one of the trends that I've, that I've, that I think we've seen is more people um, are getting engaged in, in turning their sort of their knowledge and their experiences and their passions into uh, into a business. That's the new SMB. 
I was, I was saying about this yesterday, you know, COVID has, has done a real number on small and medium businesses in general, except for these bright spots. And I feel so lucky to be in a place that it will, you know, that is, it's, it, it's been good for me, but it's also a beacon in, in the world right now in terms of like businesses that are, are not, you know, nothing stable necessarily, but buildings that are in these high growth spaces that, that have low barriers that people can kind of move to. And, and the creator economy is a really interesting part of that as well. Yeah, it is. Um, it is, and it's. I, I think it's gonna continue as people sort of, as they understand that. Hang on a second, I can do this now, and and there's these vertical solutions that are making it even easier for them. Like for teachers, you know, you don't have to use Patreon or or some other tool. You can now use a tool that's only made for teachers that has you know buttons. Use your language, and the UX and the UI speaks to me as a teacher, so it makes it even easier for me. I think that's just gonna get better, and people are gonna. People are gonna yeah dip into you know uh, either a second income or make it a full a full time income. It's actually pretty exciting. I'm I'm excited for some of the content. Um, yeah, I'm excited for some of the content that's gonna get created. So. And and with whitelisting, it's also you as a as a creator like you don't have to have a massive following. You know, you just have to have the right look or the unite. You need to be a great content creator. It sort of like puts the onus on the content rather than your you know your clout, which is really cool as well. Totally. There's this idea, and oh man, I'm a little bit embarrassed because I don't remember. I remember who who first kind of had this thought. I, uh, I'm a little bit embarrassed, but it's you don't need a hundred thousand people paying you a buck. You need you know a thousand people paying you a hundred bucks, and so that's the quality of the content. Yep. Kevin Kelly, there thousand you go. true fans. Yeah, <laughs> you get thousand um, true fans. There you go. So <laughs> thank uh, you. Ro- <laughs> you're welcome, Roger. Um, one of the things we we love to do when we have uh, people like you on is. Um, uh, get a little bit of free consulting and um so 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 uh dtc uh we yeah. have this have this product i mean obviously we have have our newsletter and our podcast um and from all of the research uh, that we've done um from you know asking dtc brand owners what they would value the most where their pain points are uh influencer marketing was was top of the list and so that's why we've uh we're creating the influencer flywheel challenge um and uh, so, well, well, first of all, what it is, is it's a four day, um, you know, live workshop with expert practitioners um, who can help brands build their own uh, influencer marketing system. Uh, and so we'd, we'd love to hear how you would recommend we, um, you know, use influencer or creator partnerships to, uh, to, to, to get people participating in that program. Interesting. So let me, let me be clear. It's a B2P, it's a B2B play you're talking about, right? Yes. Yeah. And you alluded a yeah. little bit to that earlier. Peaked our ears. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, that's I'm gonna be honest with you. We've we strive to the number one thing that's worked for hashtag paid. Um, I'd say it's just partnering with the right people, talking with the right people, being friends with the right people, building relationships and serving the right people. Uh, because then um, they'll they'll talk about us and and so it's influencer marketing. Essentially, we're sort of eating our own food. Um, so that's what I would recommend. Um, as opposed if you to want like people to come in, as opposed to like getting a business influencer, like getting you know, jumping on your platform, finding people that that are sort of in this space. Like, I guess it, it, as a B two B play, it's it's always it, there aren't as many B two B influencers. I guess right. I guess like is Gary yeah. V a B two B influencer? Or is he B two C? Like, I don't know. Yeah, I that's a both. Tough one. I would say he's both because there's a lot of consumers like. 
I I know 17-year-old kids who listen to Gary Vee and they have no business or anything. So I would say there's a consumer element to it, but I also think that business owners, to a certain extent, they listen to him. If he says spend money on Facebook, they'll go spend money on Facebook. So in that sense, Facebook could use him as an influencer. Um, it, it gets tricky with B2B because you can't pay them as you would a consumer product. Um, it, it, so there's a little bit of tricky around the exchange of money um, because as soon as, for example, if I'm advocating for a tool and as soon as you find out that I'm getting paid for it, I lose a little bit of credibility, whereas that doesn't really happen in the consumer space. Um, I find it happens more with B2B because they're larger, they tend to be larger purchases. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I think there's different ways to approach B2B. I, I really do like influencer marketing in B2B. It's, it's uh, I guess what they would call thought leadership, I don't know, um, or content leadership or whatever. Um, but find the right people. So whoever you're trying to bring into, the, into these courses, I would say, who's that person? And who does that person look up to? That's the person you want to partner with. And then you got to get creative. So you sit down and you write 30 ways that you can partner with that person, potentially. Um, and, you know, number 15 to 30, there's going to be some good stuff in there. And then you figure out a way where you can exchange value, whether it's cash or whether it's an opportunity to be, to be on your podcast. Maybe you can pay them to speak at a conference or at an event. Um, the exchange of, of value can happen in a number of different ways. Um, but that person that your end customer, whoever it is, whether it's consumer or business, it works the same way. Whoever that person looks up to, that's the person who you want to be best buddies with. Um, that's, that's, that's how influencer marketing, I, I think, works on B2B, maybe more sort of more explicitly in B2B, but also on the consumer side. I actually really like that. I think that's a key distinction. I, I think oftentimes when we're thinking of influencer marketing, we're thinking of the niche or the vertical and we're like, oh, you know, um, who are business influencers or who are, you know, uh, cosmetic influencers. But um, I think that specifically asking who is going to participate and then asking yourself who are the, you know, the people they look up to. I think that's a really, really important yeah. distinction. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, what do you, where do you see this? Just as the last question here, before we sign off, like, where do you see this space going? Where do you, I know you guys are continually evolving your platform. Uh, you're, you guys are thought leaders on the whole space. Uh, I'm, I'm curious as to where you see it going in the, in the short, short to long term here. Yeah. Um, some of the things I've seen, this isn't new, but it's happening more often because technology supports it. And that's creators are developing, they're becoming um, they're already brands, but they are developing their own physical products or or product that they can then sell. So whether it's software or whether it's um, or whether it's a physical product, they are they they start off representing other brands and influencing people towards the purchase of another brand, and then they become or they develop a product that then they represent. So creators will launch more products, and you know companies like Cala are helping them do this with fashion and with with physical goods. And so the easier it becomes to develop a physical product, which it does with contract manufacturing and et cetera. So the easier that becomes, um, the easier creators develop their own brands and, and build their own brands. You look at, you know, again, probably one of the bigger examples, Kylie Jenner. Um, but there's there's a whole bunch of other, other creators doing that. Um, and I would say the second one is, um, you know, with these big retailers shutting down, um, and, and sorry, less people visiting them. I, I, I'd say that creators are gonna turn into retailers themselves, right? Like if I follow someone and I'm digging their style um, and I like what they wear, I probably wanna buy that. And where can I go to buy that? Well, I have to go back to the post and I gotta go see who it was and I gotta go, but what if that per, you know, they had their own storefront where I could just shop their closet 
um, that'd be pretty cool. And they almost serve as a retailer. And then if you're a brand, if you're a D2C brand, an e-commerce brand, you could partner with like a bunch of those people and get your product into their stores, quote unquote, into those retail locations. And 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 it can be pretty exciting. So they're, they'll be like the whole, the, the, the new wholesale buyers, right? Where maybe they'll buy, you know, a bunch of these shirts, they'll buy a thousand of them and put them in my store. Um, yeah, so I'll, they'll act as like uh, the new retailer. I, I don't know if that's going to happen or not, but it could be could be interesting. That's some super interesting predictions there. I, 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 and it's going, you know, that a lot of the evolution in the space is going to happen through this, just based on the market pressures, just based on the fact that there's so many people that are looking, that are going to need to turn to creative endeavors, uh, you know, in order to, to monetize themselves, maybe we get universal basic income and we can all just be creators, you know, uh, but, uh, but, uh, Roger, this has been really interesting. I, I really want to thank you for coming on. I think like I've learned a ton. I think our audience has learned a ton, uh, about, about influencer marketing from this. We'll be doing a, a full write-up in the newsletter at directtoconsumer.co. So make sure you go check that out. Awesome. Uh, if people want to get in touch with you, and I, I know you're on Twitter, um, obviously they can go to hashtag pay.com and, uh, you know, fill out a lead form there. And you, you know, you guys will be in touch with them soon. What any parting words for, for people to get in touch with you? Yeah. Uh, Twitter is, is um, I, I created a Twitter account this year or was it late last year? So I started using it this year. So I'm new to Twitter, but I'm really enjoying it. And it is a really great way to get in touch with me. I do I do look at my messages there. DMs, they call it. Um, I do look at my DMs. Uh, LinkedIn is a good spot to um, email. It's it's my R, my last name at hashtagtrade.com. You can get in touch with me. By the way, I am a subscriber to your newsletter. Our whole, almost our whole marketing sales team is with big fans and we love it. So if you are watching this, it is a worthwhile newsletter to have in your inbox, by the way. Awesome. Yeah, yeah this influencer marketing is great. We just we just got the biggest meta influencer on influencers to uh, to jock our podcast. That's fantastic. It's a good newsletter. I know. Yeah, it is a good newsletter. No, awesome, not because brother. I'm here, but it. We'll talk about Joe Thornton on the Leafs next time. Uh, <laughs> I bet that's on your uh, radar. Okay. Oh yeah. Uh, but anyways, thanks so much. This was awesome, and uh, we'll catch you again right. soon. All right. Thanks, thanks Roger. Thanks. Thanks. thanks.